Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Stefania Bell, ESPN's injury expert, does an awesome job. Before we get into injuries galore here, Stefania, I want to know what your favorite <laughs> non-injury topic to talk about actually is. <laughs> I don't know if I even have any topics outside of injuries right now. Um, you mean when I'm doing like shows or just topics in life? Just life, anything. Like you, you get together with your friends and you're like, oh, I get to talk about fill in the blank and it's not injury related. Yeah, usually they want to know about their fantasy football team, <laughs> right. but um, <laughs> I don't. I don't get a break in the fall. But for me, I, I am a huge sports fan, so I'm usually talking about something sports related. Uh, I, I don't have much of a life outside of that. I'm afraid to say, um, but I, I do. I will say, I'm a reader. I like talking about what are the good books that you've read lately. Like I'm always down for you know sharing on that front but i don't read much outside of sports stuff in the fall so i'm really quite a boring person i guess is what you're getting out of it uh, no i don't think so at all i think uh, there's nothing wrong with being a, a sports fanatic i think that's awesome <laughs> what can you explain the differences stefania between the shoulder injury that anthony richardson uh, suffered and what deshaun watson is dealing with with his specific shoulder injury there yeah, so Anthony Richardson had what's called an AC sprain, and there's really a wide spectrum of these. This is the um, same injury Derek Carr had, for example, but obviously not the same presentation, meaning there's different levels of severity um, and, and in terms of how it impacts the thrower, a wide range. And it's usually from a fall directly on the point of the shoulder where the clavicle, which is the C part of AC, the collarbone, and the acromion, which is the tip of the uh, shoulder blade. It's kind of a hook on the shoulder blade, and it wraps around to the front and meets the collarbone. That is the AC joint. And when you get damage to that joint, damage to the ligaments, the capsule, and some other stabilizing ligaments in the area, it can make that joint unstable, painful. And here we are with Anthony Richardson, who's going to have surgery to repair it. In Deshaun Watson's case, he took a hit while he was running um, directly on the, the arm near where the rotator cuff tendons attach. And he had what they called initially a contusion or a deep bruise to those uh, rotator cuff tendons. And Adam Schefter reported a week ago that it was primarily the subscapularis muscle, which might not mean much to most people, but it's one of the four muscles of the rotator cuff. And it's largely responsible for uh, internally rotating the arm, pulling it down and forward, if you will. But it's also a stabilizer of the shoulder in the joint. So when you're a thrower, if that muscle is not functioning properly or any portion of the rotator cuff isn't functioning properly, it can make you feel like your shoulder is not sitting in the right position. And it can also decrease your power. So power and stability of the rotator cuff, which is critical for a thrower. Stefania Bell of ESPN. Nice note to take some time with it. Stefania there are a lot of Colts fans that sometimes, like all fans, fall into narratives that pop up surrounding injuries. In his young career to this point, with what Anthony Richardson has suffered, a concussion, uh, he kind of banged up his ankle slash knee against the Jaguars and left very late in that game. Now the AC joint brain, joint sprain. When it comes to Anthony Richardson, 
is he labeled now as an injury-prone quarterback? And if not, which I don't think he is, but if not, why should Colts fans not have that feeling about him moving forward? Well, I think the sample size is too small. Like, it's just been an unfortunate string of bad luck. But honestly, it was only five weeks. And what you really need to see is the spectrum of his career. Uh, Let me take you back in time. Not a thrower, but somebody who was labeled as injury-prone coming out of college. This is going to go in the Wayback Machine. But Frank Gore, one of my favorite players of all time, running back, who came out of the University of Miami, um, with some injuries and was injured early, had an ACL tear, then tore his other ACL, ended up uh, with a labral tear in one shoulder and then the opposite shoulder. And I had a theory that once he had the surgeries that took care of all these things, he was actually going to be more stable. You know, some people just have, uh, you know, tissue issues as we call them. And they end up getting past that and they're more stable. And then Frank Gore becomes arguably one of the most durable players ever in the NFL after that, at a position that's particularly vulnerable, as I know Colts fans are well aware, um, with the running back. So I think you have to give him – it's going to be one of those things where you can judge it in retrospect much better than you can at the start of his young career, and he deserves a chance to be able to prove that out. So um, it's unfortunate. Uh, It is a collision sport. When you are a quarterback who's moving with the ball, you are a target, just like a running back. And even if you're not a quarterback who's on the run as a runner per se, uh, you're still vulnerable in the pocket. Ask Joe Burrow, who had a complete knee dislocation as a result of a tackle in the pocket. So uh, I just think it's too soon to make that judgment. And let's, let's give him a chance to get through this and come back and, Maybe he's getting it all out of the way now. How about with Aaron Rodgers in the Achilles injury where we just saw him on the field before the game throwing passes? And you know Jets fans are like, here we go, baby. So what, <laughs> what kind of realistic timeline are we seeing with Aaron Rodgers and his return? And also, if you could add the little bonus of what's the difference between a ruptured and a torn Achilles? I've always wondered that. Okay. Um, wow. So many things. Let me start with the, the ruptured tear. I mean, this is the language of sports medicine, which is fascinating because people will hang on a word. And there are, you know, if you're on the medical side, and as you guys probably know, I'm a physical therapist that worked in sports medicine for 20 years before I switched over to media. So um, I do understand the, the medical lingo and the, the semantics of how we speak in medicine which unfortunately make their way into the vernacular, but only like 50% of the way. So uh, words get picked up and then people go, oh my gosh, what's the difference between a sprain and a tear Mm. or a tear and a rupture? And usually in medicine, what I would encourage people to think about is everything's on a continuum. And there are ways that we do measurements and grades so that there is a language with which you can talk about severity. But everybody who practices medicine understands that it's all really on a continuum. There's not uh, clear, defined, uh, what does a grade one look like versus a grade two? I mean, there are some qualifiers. So when we talk about sprains, for example, let's, let's start there. Uh, a sprain or a strain. Sprain is ligament, strain is muscle or tendon. A grade one is minor or mild. 
which typically means no macro structural damage. So nothing you could visibly see as far as uh, fibers being torn. But at the micro level, microscopic level, you may have some damage. Uh, there can be pain and inflammation and so on. A grade two is moderate. Well, that runs the majority of injuries because it's anything from roughly 25% damage to the structure to 75%. So you can have a grade two that's really close to the mild or a grade two that's really close to the severe. And then the grade three is what we call a complete tear or a complete disruption because essentially the majority of the fibers of whatever structure you're talking about are torn. Now, you hear this when people talk about ACLs, for example. They'll say, well, he, he only had a partial tear. Well, here's the problem. The ACL and the Achilles, you could insert anything major like this, are so critical for the specific task that they perform. In the case of the Achilles, that's where you get all your elastic spring from, your push-off. In the case of the ACL, it's knee stability. If it's partially torn or fully torn, it doesn't matter if it's rendered non-functional. So if you have enough damage to your Achilles that you can't push off, it doesn't matter whether it's 75% torn or 100% torn. It matters that it's non-functional. It needs to be surgically repaired. Same with the ACL. So um, usually ruptured implies a complete disruption versus torn could be on the spectrum. But functionality ultimately drives decision-making there. ESPN Stefania Bell is our guest. Stefania, is there clear data one way or the other at this point in the argument of injuries on artificial turf versus natural grass? No, and you really need like an hour to dissect all this. <laughs> and an hour might be, you know, underselling it. But I will say um, my, that, uh, you know, Stephen Holder and Kevin Seifert put out an article. Perhaps you guys saw it because obviously Stephen being local, covering the Colts and on sort of the conversation around field surfaces. I was just at the NFL league meeting uh, this, earlier this week and surfaces are an ongoing point of discussion. There has been literature showing more lower extremity injury on uh, artificial surfaces. But it's not as simple as all artificial surface versus grass. Because every time you're talking about field surface, you have to be looking at the particular conditions at the moment in time at which you're talking about the surface. Also, uh, one type of surface, and again, when we talk about artificial, there are many kinds of artificial surfaces. So uh, people might have heard the term monofilament or slit film. And these are all different types of artificial surfaces. Even if you were saying, well, I'm comparing field A and field B, and they both use monofilament type of uh, artificial surface there still can be variations in terms of what are the climate conditions that that artificial surface is subject to. Is it dome or exposed to outdoors? What is the infill content? There's a balance of, you know, the infill, which is like the sand and the rubber pellets and all of that. How is it maintained? How often do they change it out? What other events are being held on that surface and how much does it disrupt it? Because all of those factors can change what that surface is like at the moment in time that a football player steps on it. So these are the things that everyone is looking at in terms of studying. 
And most players will say that they feel more comfortable on grass. And I think between the NFL and the NFLPA, this is a collaborative effort, much as it seems like they're at odds, which I understand. They are working together on the research aspect of this. The The problem is that the fields are inconsistent. I think that's the biggest complaint is how do you get a football player to step on one field uh, in week one and go to another stadium and another field in week two and feel like they're stepping on the same thing. I think that's ultimately where they want to get. And then that surface to be as safe as it possibly can be. But I don't think they have all the information to get them there yet. So it's going to be an ongoing topic for the next few years and a huge focus of their attention. Uh, but it, there's no easy way to answer the question. I think we have enough data to show that a number of these artificial surfaces aren't as safe as grass, but there's also times where a grass field is not safe. And if you ask the Bears about when they lost all their running backs in, uh, a few weeks ago, I believe that was on a grass surface. So mm. uh, it, it, it is a subject that absolutely warrants uh, the research and the dollars to study this and get it right. The NFL did say at the meetings this week that they are working with other professional organizations worldwide, including FIFA, to look at what some of their research is showing um, because that's been one of the topics is that for World Cup, uh, all the surfaces have to be grass. So uh, I look forward to that because if, if there's a perception issue for the athletes, then there's an issue because if that's in your mind, even if it's just in your mind, you're playing differently, you're feeling differently, you're playing with more apprehension. And one could argue that some of that factors into injury risk as well. Uh, Stefania, you're awesome. It was great talking to you. Before you go, you've actually taught me through your answers. I love how detailed you are. And so I need to be less simplistic if I'm making a, a bet on a game instead of being like, eh, they're due. I need to have more detailed <laughs> reasons as to why I'm backing this team. You know, Stefania? I I felt still. Look, if I, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be living in Vegas and not Bristol. But uh, I do I do feel like um, informed decision-making does make you feel better when you ultimately make that decision. Amen to that. Absolutely. Well, thank you for uh, giving us some of your time today. We greatly enjoyed it, and we hope you have a great weekend, Stefania. Thanks. It's my pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, thank you. There she is, Stefania Bell, ESPN's injury expert. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. Here on The Fan, I want to welcome in Aaron Torres, Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres Podcast. He breaks it on down. Aaron, uh, how much uh, has your bankroll grown this football season? Uh, you know, it ebbs and flows like everybody else. I've had a couple of really good weeks. I've had a couple of really bad weeks. Why? did you? Have you heard some rumors? That, do I owe somebody money? Is somebody going to meet me in the alley? What's going on here? <laughs> no, just a random question popped into my head. I was just wondering how you're doing. That's all. <laughs> well, you, well, listen, I, you know what I do is I, I listen to uh, Countdown to Kickoff presented by BetMGM on uh, yeah. you know one of some, some station somewhere. I don't know where. Uh, and that's where I get all my advice. And generally, it's been going pretty good for me. So you know there you that. go. 
Bill Krakenberger, follow that guy's advice. Yeah. He's a sharp guy right there. Hey, how about this with uh, Michigan? Allegedly dirty, cheating, patriot-like scoundrels over there, sign-stealing. And did you hear this? The latest portion was Michigan State reached out to the NCAA and said, hey, we're thinking about not playing this game. <laughs> What's your reaction to Sparty even kicking that idea around? Well, from the Michigan State perspective, it's soft. But, you know, I- I'm really – in. Curious, actually, for your guys' perspective, because I've heard the full gauntlet from Michigan fans, not Michigan fans, whatever. I understand the concept of everybody steals signs to some degree, okay? Um, I do think if you are sending people on the road, and that is what the accusations are, like that is a significant advantage that, in theory, nobody else in college football has. And so, like, I, I just, you know... I guess my – I mean, I have a lot of different reactions, but, like, I just am shocked that there is, like, a big segment of the population that's like, yeah, you know, everybody does this. Like, I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. It's like – I feel like it is a, a very big deal because it is – if, if, if what happened – if what is accused of happened happened, like, I don't know. I just do feel like it's a big deal. I do feel like it's a significant advantage And I'll be honest, guys, as a guy who picked Michigan to win the national championship and has reveled in them kicking the crap out of everybody this year, um, it's like making me re-question all of my Michigan takes. I'm like, is Michigan that good? Or are are they literally just cheating their you-know-what off to have this advantage? Like, at times when you watch them, it does feel like they know what's coming before it does. So I'm trying not to overreact. I'm trying to see both sides. I am a little surprised by those that are saying that it's no big deal, but I'm also curious what you guys think and if I'm being like an old fuddy-duddy and overreacting to this stuff. I mean, the bigger thing for me in terms of where the allegations have come from is how do you go about, and maybe this is a better question for you, Aaron, how do you go about proving that Michigan systematically had a plan in place to send people are you like tracking like flight records of like team personnel like how does one go about trying to figure out proof that they did this and that there's no doubt that they had an unfair advantage because to me I don't sit back and say oh well everybody does it so it's okay I go more towards well all right these allegations are made what are the steps to proving that they happened and prove that they gave an edge has that come across your table yet in terms of what the NCAA's process is to prove intent? Well, it is interesting because they are asking for computer records and phone records and that's stuff that like happens a lot, you know, with recruiting right. stuff. And so that would be my assumption. But I think that's a good point by you, uh, Jimmy, is like, well, you know, this analyst could have an aunt in Columbus, Ohio, like, you know, how do you prove, like, like, if you can even prove that, you know, he was traveling on game days, and I think it is worth noting, like, you know, Yahoo Sports just put out another report, and on the report, they're showing this guy on the sideline. Well, if he's on the sideline, it means that he's not traveling to other teams' games. But, you know, what I would say in the bigger picture is, yeah, I think that would be an interesting question is, can you prove, you know, that, that even if this guy is in theory traveling on game days, that he's going to games, that he's in the stadium and that he is somehow in a position to steal signals. I think that would be an interesting follow-up is how could you actually prove it? But I think if, if he was doing what he was accused of doing, I think it's hard to, uh, hard to argue that it, uh, you know, that, that, that there was nothing nefarious going on at all, which again is what Michigan fans want you to believe. 
How about the uh, college game of the weekend? Number seven, Penn State at number three, Ohio State. Two really, really good defenses. Offenses, eh, eh. <laughs> um, So as far as uh, Ohio State favored by four and a half, total 45 and a half, if you want to look at, look at it from a betting perspective, hey, be our guest. If you don't want to go betting at all, be our guest also. What do you think about the game, though? Well, I, I think – Part of it, you know, you have to look at it almost like from a gambler's perspective is what is the health of so many guys for Ohio State? I mean, for people who don't follow this stuff on a day-to-day basis, and because I do all sorts of gambling stuff, I do, you know, going into that Purdue game last week, and you guys might have talked about it because I know the game was local, but, you know, going into the Purdue game, they were without their first leading rusher. This is Ohio State I'm talking about. Their first leading rusher, their third leading rusher, and their second leading uh, wide receiver, Emeka Buka, okay? So that's one. Um, then during the game, their second leading rusher, Chip Trainum, goes out with injury, and their best cornerback, Denzel Burke, goes out with injury. And so I'm bringing all this up to say is like whether you're a gambler or not, um, if you're down your top three running backs, an All American wide receiver in your best corner, and even if you're not, even if they play, if they're not at 100%, I would think that it would impact the game. And I think it's especially important to note that because Penn State is essentially coming off of a double bye. Like, Penn State's schedule just I, – I mean, I'm sure it was in some ways by design, but it broke very nicely for them where they had a bye two weeks ago. Last week they played UMass in a game in which they got most of their starters out early. Um, you know, I just think everything is breaking well for Penn State. Now, obviously the game is uh, in Columbus, but I will say, you know, just talking to some people this week, it does feel like kind of one of those – if Penn State can't win this game under these circumstances, I don't know when they ever beat Ohio State. Now, again, by the way, they play Michigan at home later this year. You beat Michigan, you split the two games, maybe you're in position to win the division. But I just sit there and say, like, this is one that feels like it is there for the taking for, uh, for, uh, for Penn State. Aaron Torres of Fox Sports joins us, covers college football at large for them. Of course, you can subscribe to the Aaron Torres podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Aaron I want to go to a different direction in terms of locally here and not Notre Dame. We might say that for a little bit later, but IU football. And ordinarily, that's going to get the groans that it's going to get because of what IU football currently is and kind of what they've always been. Uh, On the front end, we've said a lot on this show. Locally, if you know Tom Allen, great guy, salt of the earth, wonderful person, but we know it's a business and winning is what matters most. His buyout on December 4th, I believe, drops to $20 million. I contend that IU as an athletics department is not going to spend $20 million to resolve an issue they created by giving him that contract for football to then go and pay another coach to come coach the program. But our regular co-host Jake Query has said, well, football, rightfully so, very, very important. And in a conference landscape that's always changing, you need to be able to show your worth, even if you're a basketball school, as a football program. I give you all that backstory content to ask this. Is it worth it in today's college football landscape if things continue to slide for IU to make a buyout of $20 million to Tom Allen? Or are they better off powering through one more season and waiting till it drops to, I think, $7 million in 2024? Well, you know, it's, it's the traditional, and it's, it's, it's the question that everyone asks in moments like this, and I'll tell you how it usually goes is, you know, you're going to save, in theory, $13 million, but how much are you going to lose in terms of donations and support and ticket sales and whatever? Um, I guess, you know, for me, this is a really complicated one, and I'll tell you why. Is because, on the one hand, 
Um, you know, I think in 2023, especially in the SEC and the Big Ten, buyout money should never be an issue. Like, like maybe Texas A&M is an extreme example, $75 million, whatever it is. But, I mean, you're making so much money from, um, from TV that it just it, – it, to me, it's hard to justify keeping a coach – if they're not performing, and if you have a track record, if you have one bad year that's different than really a three, four-year slide, whatever it's been, I guess my counter to that would be, I'm curious what kind of candidates would want the Indiana job, given where the Big Ten is going. Like, I even look at, and this isn't a knock on Indiana football, like, I even look at it from the Michigan State perspective. It's like, you know, Michigan State, I think there's a lot of candidates that would have been interested, um, you know, 18 months ago if something like this had happened versus now where you're not just going up against Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan, but you add USC and UCLA, then you add another two teams this past year. So um, I I think what should be going on and what probably is going on is I I think that the um, AD should be really working hard behind the scenes to get a feel for, okay, who would be realistic if this job opened? Who could I actually get? Um, Because to – to commit $20 million to fire a guy with no real plan on who would actually be interested in replacing him, I think would be a grave, grave, grave mistake. I'm not saying you have to have a verbal agreement and you have to have a press conference the next day to welcome in the new head coach. But at the same time, I do think you got to be doing your due diligence because this is no disrespect intended, but I do think it's going to be a hard job to fill given the future landscape of the Big Ten. Uh, I want to shift to the NFL for a second. If you look at the Colts, there are a lot of fans that thought, hey, this is probably not going to be an exceptional season, wins and losses wise, probably not going to be a playoff year. This is about Anthony Richardson's development and four starts in, he's out for the season. So if you were hoping to see great development from Anthony Richardson and he's on the shelf now, what are you hoping for at this point as a Colts fan? Such an interesting question. Such an interesting question, though. Um, and it's tough, and, and, and it's exactly right. It's like, you know, because it, it turns into a thing of, like, what were, what were expectations coming in? What did they then become? Oh, by the way, and we know the answer to this, is, you know, Jonathan uh, – I almost called him Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Taylor uh, came back a few weeks ago. And so you sit there and say, like, okay, like, um, you know – all of a sudden, you're three weeks into the season, four weeks into the season, whatever it is, you're three and two, and you're sitting there saying, like, you know, we got a shot at this thing. Then, obviously, Richardson goes down. I know Minshew's been kind of up and down. You know, is it weird for me to say I don't really have a great answer to that question? And it's only because, guys, is that, um, you know, I understand that the division isn't great, but Jacksonville does appear, especially after last night, is starting to separate itself and it's like, what, what is realistic? And, and I know these are professionals, and I know that, you know, ownership or, you know, ownership and fans may want something, you know, uh, in terms of a, a shutdown like you see in the NBA and, and get the draft pick and get, get weapons to help Anthony Richardson, whatever. But those players are going to try to win. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's just it's hard just because, again, if, if Jacksonville was 3-3 three and three and everybody was kind of in the same boat, that'd be a little bit different. I know in theory if Indy wins this weekend, then all of a sudden they're only a game back. It's not like they're, they're miles behind. But it's just a tough deal to know exactly what to expect or even what to want to expect in a division where the team that was the heavy favorite coming in is largely playing up to those expectations. Now your rookie quarterback's injured, but you're kind of in the middle because you just gave Jonathan Taylor a bunch of money. It's just a tough, tough deal to be in. Aaron Torres of Fox Sports Radio. Nice enough to take some time with us. 
Aaron, I'll gear this towards Notre Dame, but you can take it broadly to any team in this category. When the playoff expands, and I know we're operating with details that we don't know yet because it'll be new when it does expand next season, but when it expands, could a two-loss Power 5 or perennial program like a Notre Dame make the playoff? Is two-loss a death sentence, or is it still possible to make it when the playoff expands? No, I think for the most part, that's that's kind of the excitement about a 12-team playoff is it's almost like the expanded baseball playoffs. And I'm not a huge baseball guy, but you know the concept of the expanded baseball playoffs is it keeps more teams invested later in the year. Where you know, like like even like you look at a Clemson right now, you know, Dabble had those comments about his fans, and they're you know we got to get some people off the bandwagon and this that the other thing. It's like well, a year from now, even with two losses, I don't think you're going to be completely out of it. So. No, I, I actually think what it's going to do is it's going to keep a lot of teams a lot more invested a lot later in the year. Um, now, I do think it's going to take away somewhat from college football because, you know, the, the margin for error will be greater for even in Ohio State and Alabama where, you know, it's hard to envision a 12-team playoff scenario where even in a quote-unquote down year, Ohio State isn't in. You know, Alabama last year, they had those two losses and you could tell they didn't look like a typical Alabama team well, you put that team in the playoff with Bryce Young as a seven seed and eight seed. Good luck to you know whoever's got them in the, the opening round. So, no, I, I I think it's very fair to say that uh, two loss teams will very much be alive. Now, how many of them will get in, uh, and what you know what you know how is it going to look? That part I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think if if you're finishing with two losses, if you're right on the cusp in most of these power conferences, you're going to have a pretty good shot. Especially, by the way, keep in mind we're going to have one less power conference next year without the Pac-12. Well, hey, Aaron, always good to catch up with you, man. I hope you have a uh, fun weekend watching ball, and it's also profitable, huh? We're hoping for oh. a big weekend here, right? Yes. Well, I know where my pregame listing will be to, to make sure that I am profitable. But yeah, it'll be a good weekend. It'll be a good weekend. By the way, Indiana Hoops got a little uh, uh, recruiting yeah. announcement here maybe in the next uh, hour or so. So, you know, I'll be tuning back into you guys to hear what you have to say if that happens. Hey, Aaron, Aaron by the way, uh, last time we talked to you, you were kind enough to make time for us while you were on the fly packing. So I hope that your, your trip went well and I hope it's less stressful oh. leaving us uh, leaving us today. Well, it's less stressful, but it's also more sad because uh, I have nothing on the docket pretty much <laughs> from now until the end of time. Like, I'm not going to some beach getaway here for a few days. But that's right. I forgot about that. But, yeah, no, it was a great trip. Uh, you know, now that I'm not essentially nine weeks into college football season, I, I wish I had another one on the schedule. But, uh, but you know, listen, this is what we work for, right? We work hard. We're lucky to do what we do, so I can't complain. But, yeah, it was, it was a great trip. I thought about you guys a lot while I was uh, sipping <laughs> pina coladas on the beach. I'm so. sure you did. Yeah, very nice, man. Well, hey, we'll catch you soon, Aaron. Take care, bud. Thanks for the time. Thank you, fellas. Have a great afternoon. You too. There he is, Aaron Torres, Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres Podcast. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Aquarian Company here on The Fan. Kevin Bowen from The Wake Up Call joining us here. KB, what is going on, man? How have things been going in your world? And I want to know, as we're hearing uh, from a boy band in the background, do you have any musical guilty pleasures on your list there? Well, I, if I'm going to fully raise my hand here, I, I might have hummed that just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
There you go. Um, so, Eddie Garrison, you got me there Friday at 2 o'clock. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have, I, I'm probably like a, if I show up to a concert and I feel like you're entertaining the audience, I, I'm probably going to get behind you. I mean, like, I, I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to every country, you know, boy band rap, you know, whatever, Shania Twain concert here. But for the most part, I don't feel like I'm uh, too, too against any sort of music. But, yeah, again, uh, hand raised. I was probably humming uh, that a little bit there. What, what would be the most random concert that you've attended? Oh, boy. Um, I did a weeknight concert in Louisville uh, to, for Kesha. Are you familiar with Kesha? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Kesha uh, with uh, good friend Ryan Dorsey. So that was quite a humbling experience, waking up for work the next day, realizing to myself, wow, I really went to a Kesha concert last night, and here I am having to, you know, have awkward icebreakers in the uh, in the break room with my coworkers. So, yeah, uh, I would say Kesha on a Wednesday night on 4th Street in Louisville. I do like that she has – does she have the, uh, like, the money sign as the S? I've seen yeah. that a couple of times in her name, right? I was going to say, you are on it, Brian. No, that's yeah, right. spelling is key. It is not the S. It is the it is the shift four key, right? That's right. Get the, uh, get the money sign on it. <laughs> that's beautiful right there. Um, okay, uh, sports. <laughs> so uh, uh, what are you thinking about the Colts taking on the Browns who just beat the Niners? What, what do you think about this particular matchup here? Yeah, I think it'll be pretty ugly. Um you know, when you look at the over-under, I, I'm a little surprised it's as high as it is, right around 40-ish. Uh, I mean, their quarterback situation obviously still up in the air, but um, yeah, what stands out to me is they certainly have a defense that is historically good through five weeks. Um, I also think they have a couple of individuals that can kind of go win you a series, win you a game, and Miles Garrett and Amari Cooper. I'm not sure if the Colts have that. They certainly don't have it a pass rusher and wide out like the Browns do. Um, but And I say this in all seriousness, I think in a game like this, when the score is going to be as low as it is, the, the weapon of a kicker in Matt Gay, I think it's huge for the Colts. So, uh, again, I expected very low scoring. I think I said this morning on the show, not sure how politically correct it is, but I call it the puberty game. Uh, first one to uh, to be a teenager, I think, uh, wins. So first one <laughs> to get to 13, in my opinion, wins on Sunday. So that's where my, uh, that's where my head's at. KB, I heard Eddie ask you this before you came on, and so I only heard right half of the conversation. So if you don't have clarity on this, I'll move on to a different question. But we have the final injury report. I guess two-parter, your reactions to – or not the final one, but we got the Colts announcing who's out. I guess your thoughts on the injuries as it stands and with Alec Pierce, any updates on what you saw today or if he practiced today? Yeah, so obviously Braden Smith is a big loss. Kylan Granson um, is a notable loss. He's played the most out of your tight end. Um, you know, Pierce, I would think he gives it a go. I mean, I don't think it's a guarantee by any means, but typically you practice on a Thursday and Friday. That's usually a good indication. Uh, but again, the loss of Braden Smith is huge, uh, you know, when you're facing a Miles Garrett. And, and I think Cleveland has an underrated defensive line outside of Garrett. I think they've got pretty good depth with that group as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's not ideal in losing a guy like Grantham, but in particular Braden Smith when you're facing one of the best defenses in the league. 
you know that's uh, that's that's a big big loss. Um, I, what do you? How would you? To someone who hadn't watched Anthony Richardson throw one pass or, or take one snap this season, and said, "Hey, KB, man, you do radio in that area. You watch every single play. What do you think about him going forward? What would you say to that person?" You just strictly talking him on the field, or are you factoring in the injury situation as well? Well, both. All things considered, what do you think about the guy going forward? Yeah, I think what I've kind of said about it is I feel like you are highly – well, I, I think I said this to Eddie earlier in the week. I feel like kind of the two takeaways I have with Richardson at the end of the year are this. I think the returns on him in a positive direction could be a little bit earlier than I thought. Like, I think we all were this, oh, gosh, he's 20, he's about to turn 21, he's got 13 career starts, you're not going to see the returns on him until, you know, whatever, year year four, you know, like, something like that. And now I'm kind of like, wait a minute, that was pretty good, albeit a very small sample size. I think this could happen a little bit earlier. Now, on the flip side of it, you, you, you can't ignore the small sample size. And, I mean, there's so many different numbers you can look at. You know, 173 snaps is – an extremely low number. He only played really a quarter in a series on the road all year, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and then again, the injury situation for me is not so much the shoulder worry. It's more of just playing style and how long is the career window. So that's probably the other takeaway I have. Again, I think the return on him could be a little bit earlier in this, you know, year one, year two, year three sort of cycle. But the career window of, you know, when you draft a guy top five, you're thinking, oh, he's, you know, he's the guy for 10, 12 years. Now I watch him and think, ah, eh, that might be a little bit, you know, optimistic to kind of already pencil in what he's going to whatever look like at 28, 29. Just stylistically, if you look at, you know, dual threat guys, I mean, Donovan McNabb and Steve McNair and Michael Dick, I mean, those guys all had to kind of alter their games and just didn't have the same sort of staying power as in dual threat nature. And that probably will be the case with Richardson. And obviously health will be a big, big factor in it. Kevin Bowen is our guest, the fans' very own. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Of course, Colts beat writer for 107.5thefan.com. Kev, we are 11 days and a couple of hours away from the trade deadline in the NFL. And I know unlike baseball and basketball, there's less buying and selling that really happens year to year at the deadline, but I think we can probably safely assume Colts won't be buyers in this situation. So I'll phrase it this way. Where do you see them acting as we get closer to the deadline as a neutral party or as sellers? And if it's the latter, does that at all concern Michael Pittman Jr.? Yeah, it's a good question. I I would probably say more of a neutral party. Now, I might be a little bit more open-minded to selling than most. This is how I view the trade deadline. I view it in a very, if you are going to make a move that is going to take you from playoff contender to Super Bowl contender, then you buy. If you're not that team, then I believe you should be in a sell type of mode. I, I, that, that might be a little bit too harsh to just kind of boil it down to that. Obviously, there's not a ton of teams that you would throw into that category. But that's kind of how I view it. I especially view it with contract year guys that are not part of your 2024 plans. So if you sit here right now in mid-October and you map out what 2024 is going to look like, that to me is a, okay, Zach Moss is in a contract year. Julian Blackman's in a contract year. 
Uh, you know, Grover Stewart's in a contract year. Uh, you know, Pittman, to me, I think should be in your 2024 plan, so I don't put him in that group. Um, you know, someone asked me the other day, you know, what about Buckner? You know, Buckner, to me, I think it's still an important piece for multiple years, and he's not in a contract year, so I don't view that. Uh, Kenny Moore's in a contract year. So, again, those are some of the guys that you look at. Uh, but last year's trade of Naheem Hines for Zach Moss in a fifth-round pick, I mean, that was settling in a way, but, you know, you all, obviously you got a little bit of return on that. I think that not trading Stephon Gilmore at the deadline was a bit of a mistake, though, so um, maybe you could have got a little bit more. So that's kind of how I view the old, uh, the old trade deadline. Um, there are a lot of Colts fans, KB, as you well know. Their number one hope for this season was Anthony Richardson getting a ton of work, seeing his development, and now he's on the shelf after four games. So – if that was your number one hope, what now becomes your number one hope from here on out for the Colts season? Yeah, you know, I think when I, I did a storyline list at the start of the year, obviously Richardson was one, you know, Taylor was two. How would that situation play out? I think three on the list, and, and I'm grouping two young guys together, it would be Quiddy Pay and it would be Bernard Ryman. And if you can get to the end of the year – you can say that one, at least one of them, is the future at that position and you feel really good about it. That's mm-hmm. an important piece to the Anthony Richardson puzzle. And, you know, there's two things with Richardson. It's development and it's support. Well, development's gone. I mean, there's nothing you can develop now the rest of the year. Support, though, you can continue to try and find that. And, again, Ryman at left tackle, is that, you know, Tar Glenn to Peyton Manning? Is that Anthony Cassanzo to Andrew Luck? I mean, that is – you know, huge for, you know, his health, of course. And obviously, you talk about, you know, what pain and what a salary cap situation looks like. If you're paying Ryman third-round pick money to be your left tackle for the next three years, that, that, that's great news. Um, you know, pay, I'm probably not as, like, stamping the approval of that just yet, but we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. You know, obviously, Michael Pittman wins with him being in a in a contract year. I mean, that, that one, you know, certainly – is another piece, you know, how does Kenny Moore and Shaquille Leonard play the rest of the season out? And Shaquille Leonard's kind of in a pseudo, um, pseudo contract year. Uh, and then the other name I throw in there, and I wouldn't have said this at the start of the year because he missed so much the offseason, but what does Juju Brents look like? I mean, that's a premium position. He's also getting baptism by fire, and he's a guy that all of a sudden, if you have an outside corner that you feel really good about, that's an important piece at a critical position moving forward. So, I still think there are plenty of storylines to watch. It's just nowhere near as important as, obviously, what you have with Anthony Richardson. Kevin Bowen is our guest. Again, you can hear him 7 to 10 a.m. right here on The Fan, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. KB, with where things go from a wide receiver and tight end room development standpoint, do you still have the utmost confidence that Gardner Minshew provides a type of stability to have real hard evaluations about those specific rooms this offseason? Because I, th- I know you've mentioned this as well. It's critical this offseason to fine-tune weapons around Anthony Richardson to bring along his development in 2024. Is Minshew still capable of doing that for the Colts at a minimum in terms of where expectations are for him the rest of this season? Yeah, that's a good question. And Pierce is the name that, that pops into my head most when you ask that question. I I would like to think so. I'd like to think last week was the anomaly. Um, and, and, you know, he, 
missed Pierce, let's be honest, early in that game. Uh, right after the fumble uh, for the South CTN touchdown after that, you you were down 14-3. Pierce got behind his man. You had a chance to hit a deep ball, and you, and you didn't do that. So um, he would be the one, again, I would like to think that you can have that sort of evaluation, but I, I – yeah, I, I would hope. Uh, so Pierce at wide out, and then you know tight end wise, just some of the young guys. I mean, see kind of anybody in that group really, really um, step forward because to me it's just a bunch of guys right now. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. How about this crazy season for our Irish, KB? Goodness, we're, we're up, we're down, topsy-turvy. If you had to boil it down to one word, <laughs> this is a hard question. What's the one word for Notre Dame's football season thus far? Yeah, it makes me think I need to see a cardiologist, to be totally <laughs> honest with you. Um, yeah, I know it's not one word, but uh, that's probably where I would go with it. Uh, yeah, I'd be crazy, especially the last month. You know, obviously when you got through the first, whatever, kind of four or five games of the season, it was pretty like, all right, you know, who are these teams? When does competition rise, et cetera, et cetera. And now it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, after the USC game, what they did to Caleb Williams, all of that. It's one of those things where, all right, 10-2 and two and play Brian Kelly in the New Year's Six Bowl. Like, I'm like, all right, so – yeah, it's been crazy, and part of it's just college football. I mean, you know, to have that play happen against Ohio State and the end of the game play out, then it's like, all right, you got to run, run the table, and what happens against Louisville happens, and you beat your rival, you do that to Caleb Williams, and it's like, well, that just pretty much means you have recruiting momentum back on back on the table. Like, it's just what I don't love about college football and what I do love that the playoff will expand. So, you know, 10-2, and two, you can kind of backdoor your way into it yep. a little bit. That that feel of it, so it's been crazy. I, I'm more of a Freeman guy than than most. I I, I think it's a good um, try to change up a little bit more of your roster depth and your overall recruiting and you know college football. It's just different, and what you want as a head coach in the NFL. The NFL is so game centric, so you know X's and O's centric. College football is so much more about your brand and the ability to recruit and have roster depth. And I think that has hurt Notre Dame in the past. So. Um, I am glad that, that that the USC game happened as it did just because hopefully it'll kind of quiet some of those Freeman waters now. I will say we had an opportunity to talk to Aaron Torres that covers college football for Fox Sports, and he reiterated that same thing because, Kev, I've gone back and forth. Like for Notre Dame, the conference narrative is always going to follow them, but like with the expansion is two loss a death sentence, and, and he reiterated what you and I have talked about in the past, that it likely won't be. Now, of course, it will depend on who the two losses are. I would argue depending on how Louisville looks the rest of the year, like that's in the moment. Yes, an awful loss, but like it's the same thing that Clemson fans were hoping when they lost to Duke to start the year, right? Maybe Duke will be good enough to where it's not a bad loss. Now, if you have another situation where you lose to Tulane or Marshall or something like that, it was one of your two, maybe, you know, maybe not so much luck, but if it's to a ranked team, there's at least hope, not just for Notre Dame, but a lot of college football fans where their season life extends further with the 12 team playoff. Didn't have Tulane catching strays in the yeah. afternoon. Man. Yeah, it was, it, it was Toledo. wasn't Wasn't that the close game a few years ago? The first game ever yes. on, on Peacock. Yes. Oh uh, yeah. Game. Took some took some late yeah. took some late work uh, late work by the Irish to rally against mighty Toledo. 
That was a day. Yeah, it did. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, Jimmy, like I, I'm speaking for Maddie Bowen, my wife, more than anything. She's, and she's just like, this is what I hate about college football. Look how <laughs> mad you are after this Louisville game. Like the season's already over. And I'm like, I know next year it'll be a little different. So, yeah, I guess it's just part of, uh, part of life right now in the old college football world. Kevin, it looks like uh, Andy Sweeney and uh, Kent Sterling were correct on Boogie Fland, just committed to Kentucky. Kentucky oh. is the official announcement. Is yep. that it? Yep. yep. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think that's a notable. I mean, not to act like I follow recruiting very closely, but to me, guards in college basketball to make up of IU's roster, that would seem to be a notable loss. Obviously, the transfer portal allows you the ability to get out of that pretty quickly compared to years past, but... Yeah, I would say that is a uh, that is a bummer for the Hoosiers. Just glad you and uh, Andy on the message board were correct. <laughs> Shout out to Andy Sweeney. He had that early in the week. He said that Boogie Flan to Big Blue Nation. There, yeah, Peaks dot com was not was not happy with Andy and myself who they were calling Jim Sterling. Yes, man, I feel like we're ending on such a, a down note. KB, do you have anything to? You know, like, uh, I feel like, like, what would be a good example? Like, um, I don't know, you're down, you just went down by it. 10 points, and then you rally with two late touchdowns. What do you think, Jimmy? I got it. Uh, what's the, has it been released yet, the Max Bowen prediction on the helmets yet? Has that happened? It has been done. It has not been released, Ooh. though. Um, what a so, tease. Yeah, I don't know if that's it. Yeah, nothing like teasing your 13-month-old kid picking <laughs> a football helmet. <laughs> For the side, so let's just say this: I think the home faithful will be will be pleased. Ooh, okay, there you go. Very nice, KB. Well, hey man, hope you have a fantastic weekend. Maybe blast some Kesha while you're driving around town, you know, and uh, full fledged ball weekend, you know, wall to wall, college and pro. Say no more. Kesha is all you need to get the get, get the juices going. So you boys have a great weekend as well. All right, thanks, KB. There he is, Kevin Bowen. Wake up call with KB and Andy here on the fan.